You know, this morning in Sunday school, we were, uh, we were studying the Psalms, and uh, there's a particular Psalm where uh, David says, you know, let my, let my prayers be as, as incense and my hand, the lifting of my hands as the evening offering. And uh, my wonderful Sunday school teacher brought out, this was probably because David was in a position where he could not get to the tabernacle at that time. So sometimes you just got to worship with what you got. Um, that's what we just did. <laughs> so um, this just goes to show you, you know what, it, what, the most important instrument in musical worship is a full heart. That's the most important instrument. You got that, doesn't matter what else you got, you're going to be okay. So uh, do keep Miss Joyce and Miss Reeve in your prayers. We'll hopefully see them back here uh, shortly. Uh, but if you would turn in your copy of God's Word with me to the fifth chapter of Ephesians. Uh, last week um, we covered wives in Christian marriage. Today I prayed for steel toes and soft hearts primarily for us husbands because if y'all are anything like me Jesus is about to stomp on them a little bit. Um, ladies last week you got three verses. Men you get just about three paragraphs this morning. Um, we are talking about Christian marriage. Um, in this section of Ephesians, it is a uh, part of a longer section at the end of this book that uh, follows verse 21 of chapter 5, submitting to one another in the fear of God. What Paul is about to do is Paul is about to take some of the most meaningful relationships in your life and he's going to flesh out what does obedience to this command look like for Christians. The first half of the book of Ephesians kind of tells us how we ought to believe, how we ought to think, how we ought to understand our position in Christ. And the second half of the book tells us how we're supposed to flesh that out. And believe it or not, that bears, that bears on your marriage. That bears on your relationship with, with your husband, ladies. That bears on your relationship with your wife, men. And then later on, it's going to deal with children. It's going to deal with employees and employers. It's going to deal with pretty much anybody you could relate to. So... If you would stand with me out of the respect for the reading of God's Word, we're going to start in verse 25, and we're going to go down through verse 33. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the Word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respect her husband. Father, I pray that you will uh, just touch the hearts specifically of all, well, of all of us in here, but of specifically of men and in particular husbands. Lord, that you would teach all of us what it means to love our wife as close to the way you love your church as possible. Uh, change us to look more like you today. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. One of the books that Emily and I were given when we got married is a very interestingly titled book, and I found it to be quite an interesting read. All it is titled is Love and Respect. Um, and the premise of the book is that men and women feel value differently. Men feel the need to be respected. Men, tell me if I'm lying. Everybody in the world could have the utmost respect for you, but if your wife doesn't, nobody else matters. 
pretty true? I, I, I think it is. I know it's true for me. I know if I've got the respect of everybody in the room, but my wife thinks I'm an idiot, not that she ever does, I'm just saying hypothetically, if she were to, um, then nobody else's respect would matter. I need, I need hers. Likewise, ladies, men, listen to this. Ladies need to feel loved. They need to feel valued. They need to feel cherished. Yes, we are to respect them, absolutely, utmost. We're going to talk about that later. But the way that they feel loved is that they feel loved. Men, we don't need our wives to, to write us poetry and serenade us and sing us songs. We don't need that. Now, ladies, if you want to, go ahead. You don't have to. But, fellas, I bet you if your wife comes by you and says, that suit looks good on you. Okay. Tighten that suit up a little bit. I walk her on my chest. Why? Because my wife respects me. She honors me. But, gentlemen... heard another pastor say this one time. Men, we microwaves. Ladies are crockpots. We can get angry quick. We can calm down quick. We can get happy quick. We can get sad quick. You smart off and you pop off at your wife early in the morning. When you get home that evening, she's still dealing with it. That's not a joke. I'm not laughing about it. I'm just saying that's a reality. That's the difference in how God's designed us. So being loving, being tender, being kind to them, the way Paul tells us to do in 25 through 33 here, is essential if you want to have a good, healthy Christian marriage. So let's dive into this. Let's dig through this and, and, and go through these verses. Start off uh, with verses 25 through 27. Husbands, you are to love your wives like Jesus loves the church. Now, if you don't feel like you've got a heftier command than, than your wife did last week, you ain't listening. Love your wives as Jesus loves the church. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Husbands, you are the subject of the next set of instructions. Wives got the last few verses. You get these. The phrase, love your wives. There are three words for love in the Greek language. Eros. It's where we get the word erotic. You can figure out what that one means. Phileo is where we get the word filial, family. It's family, brotherly, kind of friendship, love. That's where the name, you ever heard the city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love? That's where we get the name phileo, the, the word phileo, family, brotherhood, love. That's where that comes from. This is the word agapao, agapao. Um, you, you've probably heard in some Sunday school curriculum somewhere the word agape. That is this Greek word. This is all-encompassing, self-sacrificing, unconditional love. This is the highest of all varieties of love. And this is the variety of love, husbands, that Paul says you are to have for your wife. She is not your buddy. She is not your mistress. She is your wife. And she is due self-sacrificing, all-encompassing, unconditional love. That is her due as your wife. Just as Christ also love the church. Husbands, if you want to know, how am I supposed to do this? How am I supposed to have this type love for my wife? What does this look like? What do I need to do? Here's my prescription for that. In your personal Bible study time, go back to your Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, and read all the way through the end of the Gospel of John. However Jesus treated his church... That's how you are to treat your wife. Is, now, is Jesus honest with the church? Yes. Is he ever rude to the church? Does he ever take advantage of the church? 
Does he ever brutalize the church? Does he ever beat up the church? No. However Jesus treats his church, the type of love that he loves the church with, that is the type of love that you are to have for your wife. Gentlemen in here who not married yet, you hear me? We throw it around, you throw around, see, Greeks had it right. They had those three words for love. I love her. Really? Do you love her? Which word? Is she your buddy? Do you phileo her? Not filet. Please don't mistake phileo and filet. Filet is delicious chicken, phileo is the Greek word. Is she your buddy? Do you eros her? Back up. Take a cold shower or something. Or do you agape her? Because if you say, I love her, I agape her, then maybe we can start talking about marriage. But if you're in one of those other two words, marriage is not on your radar yet. Why? Because this. And gave himself for her. This is not a hypothetical. Let me tell you, one of the biggest breakthroughs I had in preparing this sermon, I'm going to bring the kitchen into the dining room again. In preparing this sermon, I had a breakthrough of understanding in this verse. Because I've always heard this verse taught, husbands, you need to be willing to give your life for your wife if it comes to that. Is it true? Absolutely. Yes. That is true. Husbands, you need to be willing to give your life for your wife. Why? Was Christ willing to give his life for the church? Yes. But here's where we screw up the interpretation of this verse. Did Jesus give his life for the church when she eventually needed it? Or did he give his life for the church in order for her to become the church? He gave his life in order for her to become the church. This is what F.F. Bruce said on this verse. The believing community is here compared to a maiden for whom Christ laid down his life that she might become his bride. Gentlemen, husbands, fellas who think you know, and I'm still learning it. I've only been married three years. There are folks in this room that have been married three times as long as I have. Ask them. Confirm that this is true. Husbands, biblically, there is a sense in which you should already have sacrificed some of yourself for your wife. You should be sacrificing yourself to make her the woman God has called her to be. The same way that she is a tool for your sanctification in marriage, you are a tool for her sanctification. Men, you are the most powerful tool outside. Well, he's not a tool. He's a person. Obviously, the Holy Spirit is the the orchestrator of sanctification in all of our lives. But men, you are the primary tool that the Holy Spirit will use to sanctify your wife. And that comes through self-sacrifice. In a sense, husbands, an element of self-sacrifice has already taken place. Christ laid down his life in order for the church to be able to be made his bride. We men have to be willing to lay down ourselves in order to make our wives our brides. That means an element of self-sacrifice goes into creating the relationship between husband and wife. Guess what, husbands? You did not marry your wife so that she could be for you whatever you want her to be. That's not why you married her. You married her, hopefully, and if not, this is a time for, for adjustment by the Holy Spirit. That's what this altar is here for. 
If you're here today and you examine your marriage and you look and you say, this is why my marriage has not been working. This is why my wife and I are unhappy. It's because I have been berating her to turn into what I want instead of sacrificing myself so she can become what God wants. If you realize that, come leave that attitude at the altar today during the invitation and go home without it. And if you're here today and you're not married, and maybe marriage is not on your radar, does this sermon have anything to do with me? Yes. Yes, it does. Why? Because I can't speak to husbands about how they should love their wives like Christ loved the church without telling you how Christ loves the church. Let me tell you what Jesus has done for you. There was a point in time where we spiritually were not fit to be claimed by him as his church. We were not clean. We were not pure. The Old Testament called us spiritually adulterous. We gave our, our souls to other gods. Maybe not pagan statues like you read in the Old Testament. Gods of wood and stone and metal that can neither see nor hear nor speak. But maybe we gave ourselves to the gods of money. Maybe we gave ourselves to the gods of sex. Maybe we gave ourselves to the gods of success. Maybe we gave ourselves to these followers. We were not fit to be claimed by Jesus as his church. But he laid down himself in order to purify us and cleanse us and wash us and make us able to be claimed by him as his bride. It cost him everything. He shed his blood for us. Church, that ought to make you feel loved. That ought to make you feel valued. That ought to give you a sense of your worth to God. Now flip back real quick. Husbands, can you see how high of a calling this is? Now look at verse 26 and 27. Now why did he give, if, this, if that didn't clarify it at all, verse 26, he gave himself for her, 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Funny story and I'm not big on telling stories, um, but I'm, my wife will never let me live this down. To just put in contrast the amount of preparation that men do and women do for weddings. The day before our wedding, if I'm lying, I'm dying. I left my tuxedo draped over the side of the bed of my truck overnight as it rained. True story, I am not lying. So as I drove down to Brunswick to marry the most beautiful woman I've ever seen, I had all the windows in my truck down and my tuxedo hanging in between them, driving as fast as the law would allow me, praying that it would dry. Meanwhile, Emily had like four days of manicure, pedicure, makeup artist, hair doer. I don't know the term. <laughs> yeah, the, the people who make you look like a, a just, oh, you know, those folks. She had like four days of appointments with these people, and I didn't figure out how to do my hair until 30 minutes before the back doors opened. Okay? I'm still a work in progress. Ladies, you go through a lot of preparation to get prettified, don't you? Yes, and there is no day of your life that you went through more preparation than the, the day you prepared to get married. That's what Jesus gave his life to do for the church. 
that's what he was doing. And when the back doors of the, of the church open, the bride comes in, and you know who's walking her down the aisle? Usually, traditionally, her dad. That's not who presented the church to Jesus. Jesus presented the church to Jesus. In order to present her to himself. He found us. He cleaned us up. He presented to himself. He's responsible for all of it. Start to finish. We didn't do anything. The church couldn't prettify the church because the church was so dirty we didn't even know what pretty was. And Jesus said, I will give myself for you to make you spotless, to make you blameless, to make you without blemish. I will give you everything I have to present you to myself a glorious bride. Husbands, do you see the element of self-sacrifice that Jesus put into his brides? Do you see the effort he exerted? To make her into the most beautiful, which by the way, when Jesus saves you, you're still you. You're a new you, but you're still you. Husbands, your God-given calling for your wife is to sacrifice yourself to make her the best her she can possibly be. Just like Adam was supposed to cultivate the garden, he was supposed to cultivate the wife. Maybe when God said, be fruitful and multiply, he didn't just mean children. There's plenty of other fruit in Scripture that's not children, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Is that not fruit? That's fruit. It's the fruit of the Spirit and husband's you are the Spirit's number one tool to sanctify and help grow your wife into the woman that God is calling her to be. Are you exerting any effort to help your wife grow spiritually? Jesus is exerting effort for us to grow spiritually. Listen to this in Isaiah chapter 62, verse 1 and then verse 5. This is on your handout. For Zion's sake, I will not hold my peace. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a lamp that burns. Verse 5, for as a young man marries a virgin, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. God said of his chosen people, which by the way, all the promises of the covenant that belong to the Old, the Old Testament saints, in Christ they are all yes and amen to us. So I can read Isaiah 62 and I can say yes, that is for us. That is for all of us who are Jews not in the flesh but at heart. Inwardly, not outwardly, in Christ. This, this applies to us. God says, I will not hold my peace. I will not rest until my people's righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a lamp that burns. God is unquitting, unstoppable in his desire and in his effort to sanctify his church and make her the most beautiful bride the cosmos has ever seen. Husbands, are you doing that for your wives? Or are you mad that... Uh, that I hope you didn't go home last week after, after our sermon and go, all right now, y'all read verses 23 through 24, submit now. If you did that, you probably wearing makeup this morning because you probably got a handprint right here. <laughs> I hope not. 
That's not the way this works. What you do is you go home and you say, Honey, how can I love you better? How can I help you be the woman that God is calling you to be? What do you need from me in terms of spiritual leadership? Men, we've already talked about this. And and by the way, y'all, I'm not preaching at you. My mouth is the only part of me that's up here. The rest of me is sitting right there on that pew getting my toes stepped on just like everybody else. I looked at Emily yesterday and I said, this one's going to hurt. And she said, I mean, she said, last week was mine. This week's yours. Go get them, tiger. (laughs) It it hurts me, too. It cuts me, too. I'm a pastor. I could still spiritually lead my wife better. It is my job. Do you know, one day, if Margaret Claire grows up and, God forbid, walks out of the back doors of a church and spends years of her life not going in there, you know whose fault that is? Yes, she can make her own decisions. But do you know what? It's my job to raise her. It's my job to teach her the gospel. It's my job to tell her about Jesus. Not her Sunday school teacher, not her Awana teacher, not her GA teacher, not her uh, child development center teacher, not her middle school teacher, not her high school teacher, not anybody else. It's nobody, no counselor at church camp's job. It is my job. Husbands, it's your job. If there is a spiritual leadership gap in your house, it is on you. big deal. Be unstoppable. Be unrelenting. Do not quit. Fight for the souls of your family. Fight for the growth of your wife and your children. Don't be like Adam and let the snake tell you what to do with your soul. Lead. Do what God put you here to do. And lead selflessly and self-sacrificingly to make your wife the woman God called her to be. Love your wife the way Jesus loved the church. And second, husbands, identify with your wives like Jesus does the church. Verse 28. So the husbands also love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. What husband doesn't doesn't love himself? And some of y'all ladies in here are like, I know he loves himself. I don't even have to ask myself that. No, what husband in here doesn't love himself? If you love yourself, scripturally, you're doing a good job of loving your wife. Because if you're not doing a good job of loving your wife, you're hurting yourself. You just don't realize it. This is not separate from the analogy of Christ loving the church. Christ identifies himself with his church repeatedly. I'll even show you this. I'll jump ahead a little bit in my notes because I feel like now it will go better there. This is on your handout, Matthew 25, verses 37 through 40. And even not just the section that's on your handout. This whole passage of scripture is about Christ identifying himself with the church. Starting in verse 37, Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Jesus does not separate his church and himself. 
They are so closely tied together that Jesus treats, he treats what is done to the church like it is done to him. I used to go to daycare when I was little, and I've, and I've heard little kids do this too. You know, whether you're keeping little kids in pre-K or even, you know, early elementary school, you see two little boys outside in the playground. See, God built us this way. You see two little boys scuffling around in the playground, and you go grab them by their collar and pull them apart, and you're like, what are you fighting about? One of them goes, he talking about my mama. And you half want to pull them apart, and you half want to pat the kid on the back. It's like, good, you shouldn't talk about your mama. They'll do the same thing about their little sisters. He was messing with my little sister. Well, good for you. Defend your little sister. Husbands, what about your wives? Do you let people badmouth your wife? Do you badmouth your wife? I mean, obviously you wouldn't do it when she's around. But do you? Jesus identifies his church with himself. You ever seen big brother grab the little brother's hand and smack him in the face and say, why you hitting yourself? Why you hitting yourself? Why you hitting yourself? You ever seen little guys do that? I had that done to me all the time when I was little because I was scrolling. Why you hitting yourself? Why you hitting yourself? And the irony is the kid's not hitting himself. Husbands, when you denigrate your wives or when you just you put them down, why are you hitting yourself? Your wife is part of you. You are one flesh. Verse 29. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does uh, the church. The word nourish is the Greek word ektrapho. It's used twice in the New Testament. Once, in the, once here and once in the next chapter, Ephesians 6, 4. And it's translated bring up. And it's regarded children. Husbands, when it says to nourish your wife, it means don't tear her down, build her up. I don't care if you don't know anything about fashion or about the differences in the shoes she's wearing. Tell her they look good. Learn what makeup she's putting on and tell her that that, that, that foundation is good. It matches your natural tone better. Still don't know what that means. Make an effort to compliment her on what she's wearing. Compliment her on her effort. Attempt to understand her. Well, that's girly stuff. I don't have to devote time to learning that. No, it's your wife's stuff. And yes, you do. Learn her. Build her up. Nourish her. Make sure she has what she needs to grow into that woman of God. And then the second word, cherish, is the Greek word thalpho. It means to keep warm. My little baby over there hates being naked. She hates it. Say, good girl, say that way. She hates it. You got to change your little onesie. She's, oh, it's horrible. It's the worst thing you've ever seen. But you put that little blanket on top of her, you put her in her little sleeper, and she goes from screaming to... She's happy. She's warm. She's covered. She's secure. Ladies, I bet you would like to feel covered and secure too. A few months ago, I preached through Ruth. What did Ruth ask Boaz to do? Spread your garment over me. Cherish me. Cover me. Keep me warm. Keep me secure. Husbands, spread your garment over your wife. 
cover her, provide for her, keep her secure, help her feel safe. She should not feel like she has to come home at the end of the day or she should not have to prepare for when you come home at the end of the day to feel less safe and secure and warm and cherished and covered. You should be a refuge for her. Let me flip the script around. How does this apply to Jesus? Satan is the only one who wants you to be scared to take something to Jesus. Jesus does not want you to be scared to come to him. He wants your respect. He wants your honor, like any husband would. But he wants to cherish you. He wants to cover you. He wants to protect you. He wants to nourish you. He wants to provide for you. Has Jesus ever turned you away when you took something to him? No. Have you ever been afraid to talk to Jesus? No. Husbands, imitate that. Your wife should never be afraid of you. A husband is to do that for his wife the same way Christ does the church. Verse 30 and 31. For we are members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones. And then we get this quote from Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. And I didn't put it on your handout because it's right here in its entirety. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. We underrate this verse a lot. We don't give it its due weight. This is not... This is, it's not, husband and wife is not something that's merely legal. That's why it's laughable for Congress to think they can define marriage any which way. It's not just legal. God invented it. It's not just legal. It's not just physical. There is something spiritual about it. Now, when I say one flesh, do I mean that when a husband and wife get married, they're one soul? No, that's not what I mean. The husband and wife are still individuals responsible to God for their own soul. Yes, that, 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 that's still true. But there is some form of spiritual... It, it's, I don't even know how to tell you other than to tell you it is. Because the Bible says so. There's a reason that Jesus referenced this verse when he put down divorce. He said, what God has joined together, let not man separate. That's why it's so damaging. It's ripping something spiritual apart. It's ripping together a spiritual bond that God joined. That's why it's so painful and why it's so destructive. God has designed marriage in such a way that the husband's well-being affects the wife's well-being and the wife's well-being affects the husband's well-being. They don't just run in separate orbits. If something's wrong with the husband, something's going to be wrong with the wife. If something's wrong with the wife, something's going to be wrong with the husband. That's why... Paul is saying, husbands, in the same way that the church is part of the body of Christ. Why does Christ nourish us? Why does Christ love us? Because we're part of his body. He's claimed us. He's married us to himself. So him loving us is him loving himself. Don't fall into the trap of thinking that Christ in the church is a picture of marriage. It's the other way around. Marriage between husband and wife, man and woman, is a picture of Christ in the church. We imitate how Jesus treats the church. And husbands, when your wife is hurting, you are hurting. Well, no, I'm not hurting. She just needs to toughen up. No, you need to quit. 
You need to be gentle with her. 1 Peter 3, 7. Husband, husbands, likewise, dwell with them in understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. A few things in this verse, and then we'll move forward and close on the last point. One, dwell with them in understanding. We've already kind of dipped into that. Learn her. Make notes if you have to. What does she like? What does she not like? Where does she like to go? What does she like to do? What kind of movies does she like? What kind of music does she listen to? What's her favorite candy? It's a hint. Buy her candy. Dwell with her in understanding. Giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. You know, it... Biblically, Emily can't get behind this pulpit, but she has wonderful biblical insights, and I'm going to give you one of them right now. From a woman's point of view, she said, nobody ever explained this verse to me, and it used to upset me, because I used to read it and say, well, I don't feel weak. That's not what it's saying. Any of y'all got a china cabinet in your house? Got a china cabinet in your house? Do you know a lot of that china in there? If, if, if you pick up a china plate and you pick up a, a Corel plate, you could probably break them just as easily. Now, some of these new Corel could probably live through, like, the nuclear holocaust. I don't know. Some of them are crazy. But if you just get just a general dinner plate, they're about as heavy-duty as that fine china. But the fine china's worth more. Has nothing to do with the structural integrity of it. Has to do with its value. The weaker vessel is the one that you put on a stand and you put in a case and you shine it every so often, you clean it off so it doesn't gather dust, and you make sure it stays beautiful, and you protect it, and when you pack it up to move it, you wrap it in like 20 layers of newspaper and bubble wrap, and you put it in a shockproof box, and you carry it with like four people so that it's not bouncing. It's a weaker vessel. It has nothing to do with its structural integrity. It has everything to do with its worth. Ladies, some of y'all are strong. And husbands, you shouldn't say, oh, my wife's tough. She can handle it. I don't care, and neither does the Bible. If she's tough, great. So was the lady in Proverbs 31. But love her. Protect her. Treat her like fine china. Because together you are heirs of the grace of life. Jesus died for her. The same blood was shed for her that was shed for you. She was worth that same blood. And you know what happens if you don't treat her that way? Husbands, look at me, because maybe you'll get woke up by this the way I did. That your prayers may not be hindered. Cope with the fact that the Bible tells you if you mistreat your wife, God will not listen to you. Now, does that mean he can't hear you? No. He can hear you. The same way that a parent hears a child in rebellion when the child is demanding to have their own way and the parent's happiness too. Husbands, repent that your prayers may not be hindered. Treat your wife like fine china. Love her. That is a command of God. That's the way Jesus treats the church. Gently. And finally, husbands, do your best to imitate Christ in how you treat your wives. Verse 32 in 33. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ in the church. Everything we've discussed so far is driven home by the fact that our model for our marriages is the way Christ loves the church. Remember that marriage is not 
that Christ in the church is not a symbol of marriage. It's not just something for us to... Marriage is a symbol of that. Marriage is a teaching tool so that we can understand Jesus in the church. Mystery doesn't mean nobody understands it, nobody knows it. Paul just explained it. It can't mean nobody understands it. It can't mean nobody knows it. What it means is this is an explanation of Scripture that you may not get on just first reading. Paul is saying, hey, I'm telling you, marriage is a picture of Christ in the church. And it's a great mystery. It's a, it's a big deal. But then verse 33, And husbands, now, now that all of our toes are welted up and red and swollen, um, verse 33 provides a little bit of respite. Coming after verse 32, he says, I'm talking about Christ in the church, but nevertheless. Now, why is that nevertheless thrown in there? Husbands, you're to love your wife as, as Christ loved the church, but husbands, you ain't Christ. You're just not. You're not perfect. You're not faultless. You're going to mess up. You will. We talked in Sunday school this morning. David said, put a guard over my mouth. All the husbands in the room said, amen, yay. You are going to say something you wish you didn't say. You're going to do something you wish you didn't do. You're going to snap at her one good time, and y'all going to get in an argument, and you're going to be in one of the positions where as the words are flowing out of your mouth, the Holy Spirit's in the back of your head going, now you know you shouldn't be saying these things. And in your head you're going, I know, it just kind of happens. It's, it's coming. You're going to do it. Nevertheless. Let each one of you, in particular, so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see she respects her husband. You're not going to do it perfectly. You are not Christ. Nevertheless, just because you can't be perfect doesn't mean perfection is not the ideal for which we strive. Understand that you're never going to reach it, this side of glory. And I'm not saying we'll perfect our marriages in heaven. Marriage is not a thing in heaven. Jesus said so himself. But your imitation of Christ is never going to be perfect, this side of glory. That doesn't mean you shouldn't have Holy Spirit-powered, grace-driven effort toward it. Don't say, just because I can't be perfect, I'm not going to give it a shot. Because we're called to. Let each husband love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see she respects her husband's. There's the model. That's the end of it. That's how Paul describes Christian marriage in the fifth chapter of Ephesians. 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Husbands, wives, the same is true for both of you. The reason that you treat your spouse the way you do is because we model it on the way Christ treats the church and the church responds to him. Be holy because God is holy. Now last week, just like I told the wives, I said, when I read, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, and I said, wives, this is not contingent on whether or not your husbands deserve it. It's done out of obedience to Jesus. Do it for him primarily. I'm going to flip it around. I'm going to say it the other way this week. Husbands, whether or not you love your wives as Christ loved the church doesn't, is not contingent on whether or not they submit to you. If she, if she is not biblically submit, submitting at all, does Jesus still love the church when, when we disobey? And I know I'm using the word obey instead of submit right now, but I'm, I'm talking about Christ and the church. Does Jesus still love us when we are not at our most submissive? Yes. He does. 
So husbands, wives, both. this is not a I'll do it if they will thing. Because that book, Love and Respect, has something that's called the destructive cycle. Here's the way it works. My husband doesn't love me, so I won't submit to him. That's a lack of respect, which begets in the husband, she doesn't respect me, so I don't feel very affectionate for her. That's a lack of love, which causes a lack of respect, which causes a lack of love, which causes a lack of respect, which causes a lack of love, which causes divorce. Eventually, one of you has got to obey Jesus and break the cycle. Preferably both of you. I want you to have good marriages because a good marriage is God's chosen method of portraying Christ in his church. A good marriage is a powerful witness. So here's what we're going to do. This is going to be a little bit different invitation than normal because we don't have a piano. It's going to be a cappella. So if y'all don't want it to be awkward, sing. You're going to have a couple of verses. Um, you're going to get a chance to... Uh, um, Come up and pray at the altar if you need to, if you feel like you have to. If maybe you're saying, you know what, this relationship between Christ and the church, him giving himself, himself for the church, I, I want to be part of that. I want to be part of the folks that Christ has given himself for. You need to be saved. There are a few different ways you can talk to me about that. You can come down the aisle, you can fill out the guest card on the side of your bulletin, or you can meet me at the back door. Either way, I don't want you to leave without talking to me about trusting Christ. Um, uh, after that, we'll, uh, we'll take the offering and then we will we'll be dismissed. But I'm going to pray. Um, you need to come, if you need to come, you come. Uh, Father, thank you so much um, for the way that Jesus loves us. Jesus, thank you so much for the way that you love us. Holy Spirit, thank you for reminding us of the way that Jesus loves us. Holy Spirit, we pray, um, I pray for the husbands in here right now that they would learn to love their wives more like Christ loves the church. I pray for the wives that they would learn to submit to their husbands as to the Lord. Not because that's the popular psychological explanation for how to have a good marriage, but because that's how your word says it ought to work. And I believe your word's true. I believe this church does too. Father, more than I pray for that, I pray, Lord, that uh, folks would look to the, to the true relationship of Christ in his church and see the witness of good godly marriages that point to that and say, I want to be part of the bride of Christ. I want to know that Jesus has given himself for me. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would convict their hearts. Those here who are lost and, and don't know you, I pray you would convict their hearts and draw them to yourself. In Jesus' name. Amen.